0: Good morning, church. It's good to see you. It's good to be with you this morning. As we continue through the Gospel of Luke, uh, we, we've seen um, uh, we, we've seen the the, uh, man, the, the the conflict between the religious authorities and Jesus building. And here, uh, Jesus really gets asked in our text some some gotcha questions. Right? They're, they're not genuine questions. They are questions meant to trap him, meant to make him say something, meant to discredit him. There are questions about the most, uh, the most controversial topics of the day, right, about how, uh, how God's people and the government should interact, uh, about the, the, the most you know, controversial theological issues of the day, about the resurrection, which the Sadducees and the Pharisees disagreed about. Uh, the, the, these are the questions that Jesus gets asked in our text today. And maybe you're here and you have some tough questions for Jesus, or maybe you're here and you have questions that, that you don't have the answers to. Uh, maybe, maybe you have questions around science and the Bible. Maybe you have questions around gender, sexuality, marriage, about what the Bible says about women. Maybe you have questions around, about, around Christians and politics and how Christians should be involved and how they're, they're too involved or not involved enough. Maybe you have qu- questions around meaning and purpose in your life. Maybe you have questions around evil and suffering in the world, right? And those can be, of course, hypothetical. They can be theoretical questions. Why is there evil? Why does God allow certain things to happen? And they can also be deeply personal, can't they? Why did God allow this to happen to me, someone I love? All of us have questions, don't we? All of us have questions. And so today, uh, I want to uh, talk and, and ask three questions uh, as, as our sermon moves along. The first is, can Jesus answer all our questions? Two, why do we ask? Why do we ask them? Three, can we answer Jesus's question? Can Jesus answer all our questions? Why do we ask them? Can we answer Jesus's question? Let's pray, and we will we'll jump into the text today. I'd love to give you a moment just in your seat to pray for yourself, to pray in your heart. If you're not used to praying, you can, you can actually pray in your mind, yeah, in, your, in your heart. Uh, Jesus, uh, he, God knows everything. He can hear your thoughts, which is actually a pretty scary thought if you really think of it, uh, but, but he can hear your thoughts. And so you can, you, can, uh, you can just talk to him and he can hear you. And so just ask that God would speak to you. Would you pray also for your neighbor, a person sitting next to you, that God would speak to them? Lastly, would you pray for me, that I would be faithful to God's word and I would be helpful to you? you father we are we appreciate that you've given us your word appreciate that you brought us here today lord where, where we uh need to hear from you would you speak to us lord we are not here to have an emotional experience we are not here just to learn some new information um lord we're not here to hear from any man no one wants to hear my words from me Lord, we we want you. We want to encounter you and your presence and your love and, and your challenge and your grace. And so would you speak to each of us as we need it? We ask this in the name of Jesus, and we trust you. Amen. Can Jesus answer all our questions? Can He answer all our questions? In verse 20, it says, They watched closely and sent spies who pretended to be righteous so that they could catch him in what he said, to hand him over to the governor's rule and authority. We've seen the conflict between the religious leaders and Jesus ramping up, right? We saw when Jesus came into Jerusalem where he's been heading this whole long time. He's been heading there uh, to Jerusalem. And and we've seen... Uh, it, Jesus came in and cleared the temple and the religious leader says, we have to kill him. We, we, got, we got to take him out. And yet every day he's walking into the temple to, to thousands and thousands of people and, and preaching to them and they're hanging on us everywhere. The, the Pharisees, the, the, the elders, the chief priests, they can't figure out how to get rid of him. We saw last week, they come and they just challenge His authority directly. Where do you get the authority to do these things? And Jesus shuts them down. And then he tells them a, a parable that ended with their character in the story being destroyed and the vineyard being given to other, other people. Right? And, and they know this is against them and they, they're looking for They They try to arrest in that very hour. They can't do it though. And so they, they've taken the direct approach. So they say, okay, we're going to take the indirect approach. We're going we're to send spies. We're going to send people who are going to pretend to be genuine. But they're going to ask questions and they're going to catch Jesus in his words. And, and they, uh, their, their goal is to get him to say something against Rome. And they say, okay, if, if he could say something against the Roman government, then we could hand him over to the authorities. They could take care of him. That would solve our problem. So that's their, their goal here. So verse 21, they come and it's, it's flattery, right? They question him, teacher, we know that you speak and teach correctly, that you don't show partiality, but teach truthfully the way of God, right? It's actually true, but it's, it's all flattery. And then, and then they, but they're trying to butter him up so that he'll answer this question. And just off the top of my head, I was just wondering about this. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Just a simple yes or no question. Now, why, why is this a trap? Why is it a, a dangerous question for Jesus to answer? Well, Israel is occupied at this point by Rome, by the Roman government. The Roman government is, uh, is idolatrous, right? You know the, the Roman gods, Jupiter, Saturn, uh, Mercury, right? You, you know uh, that they, they had many gods that they worshiped. Even Caesar himself held himself up as a god, didn't he? As the Lord, he was, he was divine, and so his his uh, you know paying taxes to him like pay taxes to me because I am Caesar I am the Lord, so you could see why why there would be arguments and and religious uh, you know Jews and 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 more nationalistic Jews uh, would would say would make arguments say we can't participate in this we can't participate in this idolatry how can we pay taxes to this this foreign idolatrous government so so if. If Jesus says, pay, yes, you have to pay the tax, uh, that, that discredits him in the, in the eyes of, of the revolutionaries, in the eyes of the zealots, those who, who, uh, who maybe thought Jesus was coming in to, to kick the Romans out. Right, but, but if he says, don't pay, no, don't pay taxes, Jesus, that's what they want him to say. So they can do what? They can go to the authorities and say, Hey, Jesus, this guy's teaching that people shouldn't pay their taxes, right? In fact, uh, over in, in chapter 23, when they do stand before Pilate with Jesus, uh, they begin to accuse him, saying, we found this man misleading our nation, opposing payment of taxes to Caesar, right? They bring up that accusation, even though, even though Jesus didn't, doesn't say that, <laughs> they still bring it up. They're like, that's just a good charge. If they think that, then they'll really hate him. And so there's, there's, there's a trap Set here. What does Jesus say? But detecting, verse 23, their craftiness, he said to them, Show me a denarius. Show me the coin. This was a coin minted to pay this tax, particularly. Whose image and inscription does it have? Caesar's, they say. Well, then he told them, Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Right, Jesus answers here just brilliantly. I mean, it's, it's just expert level answer. All right, he says, so well, show me, show me a coin. Who, whose image is on it? It's Caesar's, Tiberius Caesar. He had a, an imprint of his face. You know, like we have faces on our coins. They had faces on their coins of, of Caesar. He says, well, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Right, it has his image on it. It belongs to him. It's not wrong to give it back to him. Give him, give him what he's due. Right, he says there, there is a place for government. And we know this from the rest of the scripture. There is a place for the government, for governing authority. Right, we should respect our authorities. We should uh, pay our taxes. That's probably the most straightforward uh, application of this text. Pay your taxes. right? If, if you're not paying your taxes, you should. Uh, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And, look at the second part of the answer, and to God, the things that are God's. What's the parallel? Well, as the coin holds Caesar's image, what, what in scripture holds the image of God, bears the image of God? Well, like Genesis 1 says, God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Who bears the image of God? We do. People. People bear the image of God. And so Jesus says, yeah, there's a place for government. Give the government what's due, what belongs to them. uh, but, But also give God what belongs to him, which is your very self. All of you. You belong to him. He created you. You bear his image. You belong to him. And give him what he's due as well. You see, the government has a place. He says, but God is primary. God is first. And you see how he escapes this trap. Because people, you couldn't say, uh, truthfully, you couldn't say, he's, he's telling, saying, don't, don't pay taxes to Caesar. No, 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 He said, give Caesar what he's due. But you also can't say that he's neglecting God I and mean, he's, he's choosing idolatry over God. No, he says, give God everything. Give God your very self because you belong to him. And, and in 26, it says, they were not able to catch him in what he said in public and being amazed at his answer, they became silent. They're amazed. They, they don't know how to answer this. He, he, he shuts them down in this expert way. Jesus is so smart, I don't know if you think of him this way. He's the smartest human that has ever lived. He's so capable and wise and knowledgeable. And you see it here on on display. So that's the first question that Jesus is faced with. Now, the second comes from a different group. Verse 27, some of the Sadducees who say there's no resurrection came up and questioned him. "'Teacher,' Moses wrote for us, "'if a man's brother has a wife and dies childless, "'his brother should take the wife's wife "'and produce offspring for his brother.'" Now, the Sadducees uh, were a, uh, a wealthy, they were the kind of wealthy religious elite. Um, they, they were skeptical uh, of the supernatural. They, were, they didn't believe in the resurrection as I was here. They didn't believe in angels. They were skeptical of all the supernatural stuff. Uh, they really prioritized the Pentateuch, Moses, the, f- the first five books of the Old Testament. Uh, they thought this was the, this, you know, this is the Bible and the, the writings and the prophets, the, yeah, those are kind of secondary, but, you know, those aren't as important as Moses. Like Moses is the one. I think some commentators rightly, uh, you know, relate them to some liberal Christian and Christian theologians who who say things like this now. Oh, it's the the Gospels. Like that's all we can trust. The rest of the Bible is corrupted. You know, something like that. And who are who are also skeptical of the supernatural. Like we believe in love and all that stuff, but but not like really rising from the dead. Not really, uh, you know, the resurrection or angels or, or demons or heaven or hell or any of that stuff. And so this is who comes. Right? And, and it's interesting that Luke says, he, he qualifies it with, who say there's no resurrection, uh, because this question they're about to ask Jesus is about the resurrection. And so it shows the, the insincerity of their question. Right? They're, not, they're, they're not trying to ask this question to, because they want to know the answer. Right? They're asking this question to try to show the ridiculousness of the resurrection itself. Right, even the, the question itself, there's seven brothers, and they all marry the same. It's like two brothers makes the point, three brothers makes the point, but seven, that makes it a joke. It makes it a farce, right? This, this, this question is about, um, about leveret marriage, which was in, in Deuteronomy 25, right? a, a provision in the law where if a man died without kids, uh, his brother would, would, would ta- become married to his wife and they would, they would have kids who would bear the, the, brother, the dead brother's name so the line would carry on. Right? This was... Uh, the most famous example of this in scripture, I think, is, is Ruth and Boaz, right? Boaz was Ruth's kinsman redeemer. She was a widow, uh, she was needy, and Boaz took her in and became her husband. This, this practice had, had fallen off by Jesus' time. that It wasn't being actively practiced. So that's another way that we know this is, a, this is not a real scenario. This is a made-up scenario that they're coming to with Jesus to try to trip him up. They're not trying to get him in trouble with, with Rome anymore, though. These, these Sadducees are trying to trip him up and discredit him in front of the people. Right? They're trying to make him look foolish um, in, in, front of, in front of the people religiously. And so we have the scenario. Now, there were seven brothers... The first took a wife, died without children. Also the second and the third took her. In the same way, all seven died and left no children. Right? Each brother getting married, dying, getting married, dying. And if I'm the seventh brother, I'm just like, I think she might be killing my other brothers. Right? I don't know. I just, this is what I think. Uh, I'd be worried about if I was number seven. Finally, the, the woman died too. Uh, in the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For all seven had married her. Right, and I think it should be in the resurrection. Again, they don't believe in the resurrection. In the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Now, what, 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 what are they saying? They're, they're saying, hey, this is in the law. Moses himself, right? If this is true, Moses himself shows the absurdity of the resurrection. It doesn't even make sense. Whose wife would she be? She's married to all of them. Like you can't even, this is not even, of course the resurrection is, is, is ridiculous. Look at it, it's not even consistent with Moses. Jesus answers him in verse 34. And in, in both, in this, this story is in all three of the Synoptic Gospels in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And uh, in, in the other two, he starts off by saying, you're wrong because you don't know either the scriptures or the power of God, <laughs> which is a strong line, and I think it's true. Uh, and, and so he starts to answer, and he really answers in two parts. In the first part, he says, hey, the resurrection is different than you think it is. Right, verse 34, Jesus told them, the children of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are counted worthy to take part in that age and in the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. For they can no longer die because they are like angels and are children of God since they are children of the resurrection. Right? he he says, listen, you don't understand how the resurrection works. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah. We, we mar- this age, we marry and are given in marriage. We have the, the nuclear family in this way. Yes, that's how it works now. But there, that's not how it works. Because you're not married, married or given in marriage. There's not marriage in the age to come. Why? Because, for they can no longer die because they're like angels and are our, our children of God. We're immortal, like angels, won't die. The, the, the human race won't need to propagate as it does today. Our primary identity, instead of being husbands and wives of each other, right, will be what? be To be children of God. We know that marriage from, from Ephesians 5 is a picture of the, the great marriage, the real marriage between Christ and his church. When the, when the real comes, when the solid comes, when the ultimate reality comes, we won't need the picture any longer. Now, there's a lot of, you can, you know, there's a lot of hypotheticals about this. I do wish they would have asked some follow-up questions uh, just about like, could you tell us a little more about that? Uh, because uh, there's a lot of questions this brings up, doesn't it? And, and, and I think in every age, we have trouble. I think back then they would have said, you no know, marriage, we can't, we can't ha- there's no kids. Uh, like, having kids, having a heritage, that was everything for them. I think in our in our hypersexualization, we're like, no sex in heaven? What, how could that be? Like, okay, listen, it's gonna be better. <laughs> it's gonna, you don't understand how it's gonna be. You don't know the power of God. But he, but he does say there is a resurrection, doesn't he? It's like the resurrection is just different than you think. And then the second part of his answer, in verse 37, uh, he, he says this, For Moses even indicated in the passage about the burning bush that the dead are raised, where he calls Lord the Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living, because all are living to him, right? And so here he says, brilliantly, of course there's a resurrection. Uh, and, and who does he cite for the Sadducees? Because Moses said so, Moses said so. And, who, and does he cite some obscure verse that no one knows? No, 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 he cites one of the, the core texts of the Old Testament in Exodus three, when God reveals himself to Moses says, I'm the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And he says, guys, have you just thought about what that means? Have you thought about that? Do you think God is saying, I'm the God of a person who's just ceased to exist? No, right? No, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob live. They live to God and they will live. They'll be raised and they'll receive the promise. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. And so he says, of course there's a resurrection. Moses knew there was a resurrection, don't understand the scriptures verse 39 so some of the scribes answer teacher you've spoken well and they no longer dared ask him anything right they, he shut him down again so smart so knowledgeable so he is the wisdom of god and so can jesus answer all your questions yes Whatever your question is, Jesus can answer it. Whatever your question is, Jesus can answer it. He has great answers to all your questions. When I was walking in this morning uh, before the first service, I was walking in with my daughter, Adelaide, who's five, and uh, we were walking past that corner around this side. I don't know if you've walked that way, but there's a red kind of, uh, water shutoff valve thing uh, on this on the corner of the building, and she said, "Dad, what's that?" And I said, "I don't I don't know. I'm not really sure." And she said, "She said, but Dad, you're a preacher." <laughs> I said, "Well, preachers don't know everything." She said, "Well, they should." <laughs> uh, maybe so, uh, but but listen, I want you to know. I want you to hear what I said. I didn't say I didn't have all the answers to your questions even though I'm a preacher, <laughs> I don't, right? But, but there is someone who does, it's Jesus. He has answers. He has answers to all your questions. He's the wise one. And number two, why do we ask them? Why do we ask uh, I, was, I was thinking about this as a question. Obviously, they, these people questioning Jesus, they just have terrible motives. Right? Their, their motives are not good for asking questions. Uh, but I, I really think, as we, as we think about questions that we have and questions for God, I, I really think there's, there's only two motives. There's two drivers, two main motives we can have as we ask questions. The first uh, is, is just that we genuinely want to know right, that we genuinely want to know something has happened to us, we want to know why, right, that we, we, we have real intellectual doubts about God, about his existence, we have real doubts and, and questions about what the Bible teaches on certain things, right, we, and we, we just want to know, we really want to know the answer, and, and I think it's great to have questions, I think sometimes in churches, it's, it's, we're kind of, you know, we scared to ask questions. We're scared to like, oh, I don't want to make people think I'm not a solid Christian or something. <laughs> no, no, but listen, we all have questions, and it's good to have questions. Francis Schaeffer uh, always said, honest questions deserve honest answers. And that's true. Right? And so I, I hope you feel, and I hope at this, our church, I hope our church family is a place where you feel comfortable speaking with each other, talking to a pastor, speaking with whoever, and, and asking the real questions that you have. You should feel comfortable doing that. And the great thing about this motivation is it, you're open, right? This, you, you can, this leads to relationship, right? If, if you're actually open, if you really want to know, what does what what scripture say about genuinely wanting to know something? Seek, and you'll find. Ask, you'll receive. Knock, the door will be open to you, right? The, the, you, you will find answers to your questions, And God will meet you in them. I think the second motive though, the second reason why we ask questions is because we don't want to submit to God. This is like the the religious leaders here. They're asking these questions. They don't want to know the answers to them. In fact, Jesus answers them perfectly, doesn't he? He answers them so well. And yet... They don't care. It doesn't change. They don't don't think, oh, wow, you're you're really wise. I think I want to follow you. No, they they don't care. They don't really want to know the answer. What are they doing? They're they're just trying to discredit him. They're trying to discredit him. And I think we can have the same spirit in questions we have toward God as well. We, We can hold up a question Say, well, I can't believe that God would say what God says about homosexuality, what God says about uh, marriage, what God says about, uh, you know, uh, authority, what what God says about uh, meaning. Like whatever it is, whatever your issue, we can hold that up and and not really want to know what he says, not really want to have an answer, but just to, to say, this just discredits God in my mind. I don't have to listen to him because of this. Questions can be a way of complaining against God. Why would you do that to me? pushing him away. A, a way to, to build walls around our hearts where we don't have to consider him further. And, and the, the, the horrible thing about this motive of questioning God is, is that you aren't open to relationship. Right? Even if he answers your question, it's not gonna help you You're you're not open. You're not actually open to to hearing from him, to knowing him, to receiving a helpful answer. And I wonder what kind of questions you have and why. I wonder, are you seeking God to try to find answers? Or are you just holding up your questions like barriers, like walls around your heart? Are you using questions like a bridge to get to God, to get over there, to to find him? Or are you using questions like grenades, like bombs, throwing, just blowing stuff up, trying to stay away? Number three is can we answer Jesus's question? Can we answer Jesus' question? In verse 41, he questions them. So they, they've questioned him. They've brought his authority. They've challenged his authority. They've questioned him out, up front. They've questioned him secretly, and they're done. They're like, okay, we're, we're not gonna do this anymore. Uh, we just keep getting bested over and over and over. We're not gonna ask any more questions. And he's like, well, let me ask you something before you guys run off. How can they say, verse 41, that the Messiah is the son of David? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, the Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David calls him Lord. How then can the Messiah be his son? And this is a a very technical Bible question, right? And he's talking to the scribes, the religious leaders. So it's an appropriate question to them. And just notice, I want, I notice even from this, this verse and, and, the, and the last uh, answer to the Sadducees, notice Jesus, his, how he treats Scripture. Right? Notice that he, he loves Scripture. Uh, he could, no, he could have just said, Guys, I'm God, I know the answer, here's what it is, right? But that's not what he does. He quotes Scripture. He goes, Well, have you guys ever read? Haven't you read what it says? He's the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Have you thought about what that means? It's not, it's not even just general knowledge about Scripture. It's like specific verses. Have you, have you thought about what "I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob" means to the resurrection of the dead? Have you applied it there, right? Even in, in Psalm—you uh, know, one. This is Psalm one ten, verse one. It's this really technical question. He says, uh, "David." Right? And everyone knows the Messiah is David's son. Messiah is the son of David, the one who would come and redeem his people. He's David's son. But in, in Psalm 110, 1, David calls this Messiah Lord. So he calls his own son Lord. And he's like, that's not appropriate. The, the, the son should honor the father, not the father the son. So how can David call the Messiah, his son, Lord? And of course, we know the answer to that. Right, because before to misquote another verse, before David was I am. Right, we know Jesus is the I am. Yes, he is the descendant of David. He is David's son by descent, but he's also David's Lord because he is the God of the universe. What 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 is what is Jesus doing? What's he he asking? He's forcing them. He's trying to force them to confront the nature and the authority of the Messiah. He's trying to get them to see who he really is. And they don't. They don't answer him. Right? The other stories say they, that no one can answer him at all. They're, they're just flabbergasted by this question. They have, they have no answer. They refuse to see it, they refuse to think about it. But, but this is the question right? Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus Christ? This is the fundamental question. This is the question of eternity. This is the question of our lives, the most important question any of us, each of us can answer. Who is Jesus Christ? And, and the reason why it's so important is that this question frames all the others. It frames all the others. If you're in here and you're, you're not a Christian, or for those of you here who aren't Christians, I'm glad you're here. I'm, I know you're here. I'm glad you're here. And I'd like to speak to you for a minute. Maybe you have questions for God, questions about meaning and purpose in life, questions about what God says about certain issues or other issues. And can we just, and again, those are good. You should have those questions, right? we should, I would love to talk to you about those questions. Like, let's talk about them. You should ask them. We should have discussion. That's the only way to learn. So learn to grow. Right, but, but, but let's, let's, without minimizing those, let's set them aside for just a moment. And consider this question Who is Jesus Christ? Because this, this frames all those other questions. Because if Jesus is not who he says he is, right, if he is just a, a Jewish teacher in the first century, if he just died, if he didn't rise from the dead, then who cares what he says about anything? <laughs> Doesn't matter. Right, maybe I have curiosity, but it doesn't matter to your life what he says. It doesn't matter what the Bible says about anything if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, because he's a fraud. But if Jesus is who he says he is, if he is the son of God, if, if God himself came into our world, Well, it changes everything, doesn't it? If he really did die for our sins, if he rose from the dead, if if he ascended to heaven, he's alive right now, if he's the Lord of all, if, if his presence is with us in this room, by his spirit, this moment, oh, then all of a sudden what he says about everything else does matter, doesn't it? If someone rises from the dead, you just listen to what they say. You know, they got some credibility. And I would argue Jesus does. Maybe you're here and you're a Christian, a brother or sister in Christ. Or maybe you have a question. Maybe something that's happened to you, something that's happened in your life. And you realize, man, I've been I've been using that question to hold God at arm's distance. I've just been pushing him away with this question. And listen, it's okay to ask questions. It's okay, it's okay even, even to complain to God. Even in the Psalms, you read the Psalms, read David. Right, why? Where are you, God? I need you. <laughs> right? I'm, I'm like a like a deer thirsting for streams. And I can't find any water. Where are you? Right? You, you can ask, you can, you can, you can ask God questions. He's not scared of, of our questions. But listen, even in the Psalms, what 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 almost always happens in every psalm of lament, every song of complaint, what happens at the end? He says, But I will trust in you. I will trust in your steadfast love right he's david is using questions to get to god right he's using questions as a bridge to press into god and so if we can take your question right your your burning question and we can in the same way set it to the side for a moment not minimize it set it to the side and consider this question who is jesus christ Brother, sister, who do we know him to be? If he is the Son of God, if God entered our world, if he taught, he lived, and he loved people, and he healed people, he showed people the love of God, if he was executed on Calvary's Hill, if he rose from the dead, he's alive. He's breathing. If he will return one day. Right? If he, he right now is in heaven, is seated seated at the right hand of God, interceding for us. Right? This is what we believe, isn't it? Right? If that's true, then doesn't that frame our questions? Cause, listen, there's a lot of questions that we have that won't be answered until glory, aren't there? There are. There are he has answers. He doesn't always give them. But listen, it, it, all of those questions, if we, if we know who Jesus is, if we remember who he is, can't we say then about those questions, God, I wanna know, but even if I don't, I trust your heart. I trust that you're good and that you love me because I know who Jesus Christ is. Shouldn't our questions push us into the heart of God instead of drawing us away from him? Shouldn't they warm us up and make us alive to him instead of shutting us down, hardening us, making us cold? Or when we see Jesus on the cross, doing what? Asking question from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Don't you know he suffered for you? that he had questions? and he was forsaken, he was left to die so that you could be rescued, so that I could be brought in. This is the heart of God, this is his love for us and so don't let don't let questions keep you away. Instead, let them bring you to the Savior. Let them press you deeper into his love and his care for you. Pray with me. As the band comes, I'd love to just give you a moment to respond to the Lord. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. We have heard your word, your truth. We thank you for it. And and we want you, we want your presence. So would you speak to us? Maybe you're here today and you do have a question, you have an issue that's just eating you up. You just need an answer, you don't know what to do. And maybe a response for you looks like going to the back, going to our prayer team, men and women who would love to pray with you. Maybe you just say, please pray for me, I, I need an answer. Maybe you know you've been holding God at arm's length. You've been pushing him away. You've been hiding in the darkness, and you just need to open up to Him. Come out. Open your heart to Him. He's good. never uh, you've never met Jesus you don't have a relationship with him uh, but you never thought of him as how as, as smart and capable and reliable and wise as he is and you're interested I want to know more about him and you can go back to the prayer team they'd they love to pray I'd love I'd love to know more about Christ they'd love to pray with you that's the great way to start knowing to know him is to pray to him they'd love to do that with you even when we run from you like jonah we find uh, that you we can't run far enough if we ascend to heaven you're there if we descend to the depths you are there too lord we all have our issues we all have our questions Would you give us courage, to be honest with you, to be honest with others? Would you give us grace so that our questions push us toward you and not away? you're working, Lord, however you're working in each of our hearts, would you, would we be open to you? We need you. In Jesus' name.